Are you wandering in the wilderness? Or are you a voice in the wilderness? Welcome to the Revival Cry podcast. This is your host, Eric Miller. Isaiah 40 verse 3 says, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. The goal of this podcast is to encourage you to use the voice God has given you to make Jesus famous. Every week, we will share principles from the Word of God, interviews, and encouragement in order to strengthen your voice. Thank you for joining me today. And now here is today's podcast. We're going to talk about faithfulness. Okay, and as I talk about faithfulness, I just want to ask that you faithfully not go to sleep or faithfully look at Facebook, but faithfully pay attention to God's word. Amen. <laughs> Listen, when you have a summit, you have a annual meeting. Sometimes we don't understand the value of it until we have fruit from it. So this is only your second time. And for your second time, you have all these people here that represent different responsibility. So I want to commend you for coming to the point where you are. But I also want to encourage you to not remain satisfied because what God is doing in you and adding you into the number of leadership in this church body is to help you better equip this entire body for reaching this community. See, praise God that you have a great church you have this, what, hectare, half a hectare property, these beautiful buildings, and all of this incredible organization. But I want to put something in perspective. How many people are in Panabo? Does anybody know? Okay, there's 300,000 maybe people here in Panabo. We have maybe, how many did we have this morning? People. About 300. So we had 300 people out of 300,000 people who live in this city. So think about that. Praise God for the ones who are here. It's exciting. But sometimes as a church, we can be so inward that we forget what's happening out there. And the purpose for leadership, as I shared this morning, is that so we can take pressure off of their shoulders because the Great Commission is not entirely up to them only. Amen? When you gave your burden to Jesus, he exchanged by giving you a new burden. <laughs> right? Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest for your, your, your souls. Take my yoke upon you, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So we give him our burden of sin, of hopelessness, of depression, of death, of sickness, of financial pressure, relational issues, all of that. 
And God says, I'm in control of your life now. And because I'm in control, I'm going to give you my kingdom. I'm going to give you the great commission. And now you and I are called to be stewards of what God has given us. How many appreciate what Jesus took off of your shoulders? <laughs> Amen. We don't have to be weighed down in life anymore. We, we're free. We're not bound. We're not slaves anymore. We're sons and daughters. And I'm not just speaking to sons and daughters here. I'm speaking to spiritual fathers and mothers, mentors. I'm speaking to leaders. I'm speaking to you as Jesus spoke to his disciples that no longer do I just call you servants, but I call you friends. You see, there's a new role of leadership that you're coming into that requires you to understand the friendship of God. And as you do, you move into a new responsibility and anointing that God's grace is upon you. It's not a heavy burden. Now listen, if your leadership responsibility becomes a heavy burden, that probably means that something is out of sync with your relationship with God. Because if we're not right with God this way, we can't be right with each other this way. We're not qualified to lead and, and leadership becomes a heavy burden. No, I don't want to do that anymore. I don't want to be on time. I want to sleep in or uh, I don't want to fast with everybody else. I want to go to Jollibee right now. But you're going to have to pay a price to some level and degree. Maybe you're not paying the price that this leadership couple has to pay, but they are training you to give you some responsibility to share so that as you share in the weight of distributing the food, right? Remember what we talked about this morning? They can focus on prayer, the word of God, and equipping you spiritually so that they can be seen from above and not beneath. Right? And so you have such an important role to be faithful. Because if you are not faithful as leaders, then that trickles down to those who you are serving and they think, well, if you're not faithful, why should I be faithful? Are you with me? You see, a lot of churches don't believe in excellence because they don't live in excellence. What they do is they want to separate their life and say, I'm a Christian on Sunday, but Monday morning I go to work or I go to school. I have my responsibilities. Jesus does not want us to compartmentalize our life. You are one with Christ. And you are one spirit with him. That means that you are called to reflect who he is. And who is Jesus? The greatest servant who ever lived. He's 
our heavenly father, right? He represents to us what, what we have been given in Christ. You know, I was reminded it's called Faithfulness Summit. How many of you in this room have ever climbed Mount Apple? Anybody? Okay, so one, two, three, four, five. Wow, praise God, that's a lot more than I expected. I climbed Mount Apple in 2015, and I never want to do it again. No. I climbed it because my daughter at the time, she's 24 now, so nine years ago, how old was she? She was 15, something like that, right? So when she was 15, she said, Dad, I want to climb Mount Apple. And I almost rebuked her. I said, that's not God's will. (laughs) I said, oh, honey, that's great. So as a father, I feel convicted. Like I need to, I need to help my daughter do what she wants to do. And I didn't really want to do it. So... The other men on our missions team, they say, bro, aren't you excited? We're going to climb Mount Apple together. And I go, ah, yeah, praise God, you know, wonderful. I, so I said, when are we going to do this? We're going to do it in one month. I said, one month? Don't we need to like train? I mean, I mean, I play basketball, but look, basketball goes this way, and it goes this way, and it goes this way. It does not go this way. And Mount Apple has no stairs. It has mud. And we went at the end of June when it was rainy season, and it was wet. And it was cold up there. In the beginning of our pictures, I took like 30, 40 pictures. You know, I want people to know that I did this so that I can boast on Facebook that I climbed Mount Apple. And they didn't, when people in America don't believe that I climbed it, I can say, let me show you something, buddy. (laughs) So, So the beginning of my pictures, everybody's happy. You know, we're all excited. And then it goes this way for a while. And then it goes up a little bit. And then it goes up. And up and up and up. and No, no, it doesn't do that. But we get to this point and we spend the night. And we had tents. Except here's my problem. My daughter and I bought a tent for the two of us. And we had a bunch of people with us. We had guys helping carry our stuff. It was amazing to me. We had the newest climbing shoes and, and, and clothing and all of this stuff. And here's a few Filipino guys who have their sandals, okay? And, and they have... They do this all the time, and they go up and down the mountain carrying extra stuff for us Americans. 
And they're just like, sir, are you okay? And he has all this stuff, and I have my little backpack, you know, and I'm like, yeah, I'm okay. What's wrong with you, you know? <laughs> but I'm thinking the whole way, what, what are we doing, you know? I'm going to, you know, the news headline's going to be missionary dies on Mount Apple, you know? We love Eric Miller, but he's with Jesus now. <laughs> so we're climbing... And we spend the night. And so my, the tent my daughter and I bought, this is very important to read properly when you buy something. It was, it was rain, it was water resistant, not waterproof. <laughs> I bought the water resistant tent. That means we are going to get baptized that night. Because it starts raining really hard. And I'm like, praise God, let's go in our tent. We're cool. And then I lay down and drip, 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 drip. And I'm like, oh no. It's already cold up there and windy. And I'm thinking, oh no. Now we're both shivering. And we're back to back trying to keep warm. And I'm like, are we going to die up here? This is terrible. And so I felt like a terrible father. We don't have enough clothing and everything. We're just not prepared. We didn't know what we were doing. <laughs> and so we go to, we finally sleep a little bit, not much. And then, thank God, the sun comes out, Right? And I'm thinking, okay, now we're going to climb up the rest of the way today. This is going to be easy, and going back down will be easy. Oh, no, friend. No, 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 no. It's not easy at all. We come up, and now we come to a higher place, and all the vegetation changes. Yeah. And before us is not rocks, boulders. Like this, you guys who've climbed it, you know what I'm talking about. Friend, I was not expecting boulders, okay? I'm talking about huge rocks that look like they exploded one day and it all settled there. And I stood in front of these rocks going, oh no. This is going to be harder than I expected. But I made a commitment to my daughter that we're going to climb and get to the summit. So we climb these huge boulders. And I look down every now and then and I go, yeah, this is not God's will today. We keep climbing we start struggling to breathe a little bit because every now and then the wind would blow the sulfur fumes that is coming from the volcano. You would think that we would have a little bit of wisdom that you don't breathe in sulfur and it was hot and you see the yellowish, right? And it's coming over and every time it comes, we're like... <coughs> You know, 
And so we're trying to get out of the wind from blowing on us. And we get up the rocks. And now there's this one last part of the summit. And literally, you're going up like this. I've seen movies where like they climb Mount Everest and not everybody makes it. So in the back of my mind, I'm thinking there's somebody's gonna find my body here, you know, in like 300 years and go, this is that guy they lost, you know? And as we go up, we finally get to the summit. The wind is blowing like crazy. And the Lord speaks to me. And he says, you are at the highest point in the Philippines. Raise your hands over this nation and pray for revival. And I prayed for revival. And I said, Jesus, pour out your spirit in this nation from top to bottom. From the highest, most important person to the most, uh, the person that nobody knows about. And it was a real experience. And then we went down. And let me tell you, it was harder going down than it was going up. And I didn't, I didn't understand that. Because when I got home, this is how I was walking by the time I got home. I looked like I had ridden a horse for like, you know, three weeks straight. My, I mean, my legs were just done. I, I, literally, I sat in my chair and I felt my leg going like this, you know? Like I had a muscle twitch and everything. You go, Eric, what does this have to do with Faithfulness Summit? I'll tell you what it has to be do. Be, what it has to do. Because it took faithfulness to be willing to climb and get to the top. And then once we got up there, we had to do what God wanted us to do all along. I'm not saying that you're at the top of your game by the leadership responsibility that you have, okay? There's probably things that God is calling you to that's going to be beyond where you are right now. But this right now is where you are summiting. When I was a youth pastor and I told you my testimony, I was living a double life. I was a hypocrite. I repented in front of the church. And this is how I always describe my testimony. That when I repented, I walked off the platform in front of 500 people, and then I felt chains, spiritual chains, and hooks in my flesh were pulled off of me and out of me. I was totally free. By the time I met my wife at the back door, I said, I don't know what just happened, but I know I'm free. And I didn't know if she could trust me, because I wasn't living holy anyway. But I knew something had changed. I was going to Christian psychologists. I had accountability partners. I was doing everything you were supposed to do. I was reading books on deliverance and freedom in Christ, but I was not walking in freedom. But that day that I repented and it broke through and God took those chains off of me and out of me, I knew I was free, and I've never been the same since August of 1997. I've been, 
I've been in love with Jesus since then. Has everything been perfect? No. Have I been perfectly faithful? No. But I'll tell you one thing, I've never been a slave to sin like I was before August of 1997. And see, God disciplines those whom he loves. How do we know God loves us is by the way that he treats us as sons and daughters with what I call loving correction. Because God doesn't discipline us without purpose. God disciplines us so that we can build trust into him so that when we're older we will, and more mature, we will appreciate where God has brought us from and the lessons that he has taught us how to be faithful. You see, after that, we went to the Browns of Revival. I got training and equipping. But the first week that we went to that revival, I was sitting there, standing before the service, and the church was filling up quickly. And the Lord dropped this in my hearing. I'd never heard God so clear. He said, read 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 15 and 16. And I was just kind of stumped. The service hadn't started yet. And so I opened the scripture, and this is what it says. This is Paul speaking to Timothy, who he was mentoring. He said, be diligent in these matters. Give yourself entirely or wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. Watch your life and your doctrine closely. Persevere in them because if you do, you will save yourself and your hearers. So in this chapter, Paul has been exhorting Timothy to live devoted to the Lord and, and, not, and not worry about what people think and be faithful in all things. And as he's talking, he says, you've got to Timothy in the, in the stage of life that you're in, with the responsibilities that you have, with uh, the age that you're at, all of this, you have to be diligent where you are now. And if you are diligent and give yourself, other people will look at your life and they will say, now there is a man who is surrendered to God. And then because they see you being surrendered to God, then what you believe, your life and your doctrine, if you watch it closely, if you're teachable, listen, just because you come a become a leader of some sort doesn't mean that you're above everybody. Jesus said, if you want to be great in the kingdom, you become servant to all. And so it only means now that you have more of a responsibility to honor God and honor people by applying the word of God through your life so that you can effectively lead people as you're being led by the Holy Spirit. Amen? You'll save others by being faithful. See, if you don't accomplish 
every goal that you're set out to do in your responsibility, or maybe it doesn't all work out perfectly. Maybe for your group, you don't have all the funding that another group has. Here's what you need to remember. Be faithful. Your highest responsibility. How many of you would love to be able to pay Jesus back for what he did for you? <laughs> right? Like, it's free salvation. But here's the deal. If you're going to surrender your life to Jesus, then that requires you to lay down your life for others. And so by doing that, it costs us time. It costs us energy. It costs us money. It costs us sleep. <laughs> How many of you have the gift of sleep? I see it coming on some of you right now. In Jesus' name, I rebuke it. No. <laughs> no, I know. It's the afternoon. It's hot. You ate. Sunday afternoon naps are some of the best nap times in the world, right? No matter where you are in the world, the Sunday afternoon nap, it comes upon people of every nation, tribe, and tongue. <laughs> Let me tell you something. When I went to the Brownsville Revival, I heard a preacher there, and his name was Steve Hill. Steve Hill was the evangelist of the Brownsville Revival. He preached every night of that revival for five years. I'm going to tell you, pastor could tell you, if you prepare a message for Sunday morning and after you're done preaching, I'm usually pretty tired. Right? I, I mean, I'm not, I mean, I love doing this. I could preach all day long. But it takes a lot out of you when you're preaching. So imagine when you're done preaching, going home and doing it the next day, and the next day, and the next day, and the next day, and the next day for five years. There was grace upon his life to do that. But this is what I learned about that. Steve Hill would get up every morning at 5, 5.30 a.m. and he would get a fresh message from the Lord for that night's meeting. <laughs> if you're not used to doing those things, you may not appreciate the type of work that that takes. But I would tell you this is that there's millions of people who came to Jesus because of that man's faithfulness. I'm one of them. What will happen through your faithfulness? What will happen to those whom you remember? You know what I love what you guys did today? Is that when you brought the children up, your pastor's up here singing all the Jesus loves me, this I know, and all these kids' songs as if they're his favorite songs. I love that. You know why? Because he's not so big that he's unapproachable. Are you hearing me? Jesus said, let the little children come to me. And see, these kids are going to remember their pastor would sing over them. 
They're going to remember. And I'm, and I'm telling you, they will remember this. It's those little things that matter that speak volumes. That is the language of faithfulness. It's doing what nobody else wants to do. It's doing what costs you more. You say, I've already gone the extra mile, the extra kilometer, right? Well, guess what? When you're a leader, God's going to ask you to go the extra 10 kilometers. And you might be thinking, I don't know if I want to do this now. Well, what else are you going to do with your life? If you're a Christian, your life is not your own. You have been bought with a price. The shed blood of Jesus. That means that what we do for him, if we have proper perspective, we know that we're never going to be able to repay God. So that means faithfulness is, faithfulness is the best way that I can honor him. You doing what you do for Jesus in secret is going to change the face of this community and city. You guys and girls are the real reason why Panabo is going to be changed. It's not because some guapo missionary from America comes and everybody says, Oh, what a great preacher from the Brownsville Revival. You know what? You'll probably forget my name in three months. And that's fine. As long as you remember to be faithful to Jesus. Because that's really what matters. All I'm doing today is exhorting you to go after God and be faithful. You know, I remember hearing a guy testify. His name was Mark at the Brownsville Revival. And he knew Steve Hill for 20 plus years. They were missionaries together in Argentina. If you've ever heard about the Argentine revival, Steve Hill was a part of that. And this guy came up, and it was just like during the offering, you know, greeting everybody. And he stopped, and he said, Brother Steve, Steve was sitting on the platform. He said, Brother Steve, I just want you to know something. You have been the same person that I've known for 20 years. You've been faithful. I don't know why, but that stuck in me like an arrow. Because I used to be so unfaithful. And now that I hear about a man of God who's devoted to his wife, who loves his children who gives his time, his energy, his effort for people at the revival and gives his ability to train up people and send them out. My friend, I was gripped with a sense of, what am I going to do? You see, I felt unqualified for many years because of how unfaithful I was. But then when the Lord forgave me and renewed my mind... He made me realize that I can have the same faithfulness as somebody like Steve Hill. So can you. Amen?
In March 2020, when we got to the U.S., I was invited to speak at a Bible school in Lakeland, Florida. There's a brother there, his prophetic name, you may have heard of his name. His name is Jeremiah Johnson. And Jeremiah Johnson is very well known around the world. And so I was invited to share at their school and teach at one of their classes. And in between classes, Brother Jeremiah and I met for the first time. I didn't know a whole lot about him. We went to his office and I said, Brother Jeremiah, great to meet you. We talked a little bit. We only had like 15, 20 minutes. And I said, brother, would you pray for me? And he said, yeah, sure, I'd be happy to. So he prayed for me. And as he laid his hand on me, he began to prophesy. He's never heard me share my testimony before. Of chains being pulled off of me, right? And hooks in my flesh coming out. He says, I hear the Lord saying that you have been very faithful in the Philippines. And he says, I see you specifically, and I don't know what this means, pulling chains off of people and taking hooks out of their flesh. The very thing that God did for me as I learned how to be faithful to the Lord, God began to do through me. Are you hearing me? Your testimony is your qualification for ministry. Sure, we can all grow in wisdom and knowledge and faithfulness and obedience, but I'm gonna tell you something. If you're in this place where you have this leadership role now, it's because God says, I can use you. Amen? God's calling you to a new posture, a new position of faithfulness, not only to your family, but to this body and to the kingdom of heaven so that Jesus would be made famous. I want to actually, I just want to read one scripture. Second Timothy chapter two, verse Okay, and I'm going to read it from the uh, New King James Version. And the things that you had heard from me, Paul speaking to Timothy, the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to what? Faithful men who will be able to teach others. See, Paul the Apostle had been whipped, beaten, left for dead. He's been shipwrecked. He's gone through all kinds of persecution. He's been spat upon. He's been rejected. He's telling Timothy, if you're going to follow in this gospel that I preach, then follow my example as I have followed Christ. I was just in Italy in September. And while I was there, we went to Rome. You see this? Do you know what that is? It's the Colosseum. The Colosseum was built 2,000 years ago. 
This Colosseum, when it was not, you know, destroyed, sat 80,000 people. This is 2,000 years ago. You think about the, the engineering that went into building something like that. It's impressive. But you know what the most important place in Rome I wanted to see? It wasn't the Vatican. It wasn't um, other famous sites. It was where Paul the Apostle was held in prison. If you see this picture of my son here, that dungeon is two stories below the ground. This dungeon is where Paul the Apostle was held. This dungeon is where Paul the Apostle wrote to Timothy. He was in chains. You remember when Paul said, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race? He said that from this prison. He was writing to Timothy. Timothy, my son, pay attention, be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them. Watch your life and your doctrine closely. Persevere in them. Because if you do, you'll save both yourself and your hearers. And Paul was chained. And so he would dictate to somebody who would write. And then one day, Emperor Nero, who hated Christians and hated Paul. You see, he could chain Paul, but he couldn't control Paul's lips. <laughs> and you know what happened? Nero said, get me Paul and bring him to this place and chop his head off. And that's what they did. And the Romans buried Paul's, um, forgive me for the gruesomeness of this, okay? But they buried the top part of him from the bottom part of him separately. They hated Paul. Whenever people get this done, it's because somebody hates what they have to say. Remember John the Baptist and Herod? They don't like what they stood for. But here's the fact of the matter. How many people do you know are named Nero? Probably not too many people. How many people do you know with the name Paul? See, these men have been dead for 2,000 years. But the words of Paul, whew, because of his faithfulness, will never be forgotten. Amen. I'm going to end with this. I don't know if you're nervous or feeling confident, but I will say this. In whatever responsibility you have, I want to encourage you to be teachable. Be teachable. Just because you are a leader doesn't mean you walk around before other people and say, 
wash my shoes, pick up my bag. I, I used to have a Filipino brother who we were close to, and I would go speak in different places, and he would always say, oh, Pastor Eric, can I carry your bag for you? And he'd carry my bag, and he'd open the doors for me and everything, and that, I, I felt highly honored by this guy. And I said, bro, I said, look, you don't ever have to carry my bag. In fact, let me carry your bag. In fact, can I open the door for you? And he was like, but... He was so servant-oriented that he thought people like me don't do that anymore. But to the contrary, we should be doing it more. Amen? Please, don't hold back. When people pray, when people are faithful... That's all God needs. And he says, I'm going to come and I'm going to use these people. Thank you for listening to Revival Cry with Eric Miller. Please subscribe, rate, and write a review for this podcast on iTunes, cpnshows.com, or wherever you listen to podcasts. To find out more or partner with our missions work around the world, please visit us at revivalcry.org. I look forward to being with you next week.